Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I presented part one of my interview with one of the pioneers in the fight against physician-assisted suicide, Dr. William L. Toffler, family physician of Oregon, the state which first fell to the culture of death with respect to physician-assisted suicide. Today you will hear part two of my interview with Dr. Toffler as he describes the main arguments that proponents use to try to push for state-sanctioned, medicalized suicide and the best ways to counter those arguments. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer. Prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy. Prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? O God, you sent your Son to suffer with us and for us. Please help us to understand that true compassion means to suffer with, which is very different from the false compassion of ending suffering by ending the life of the sufferer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time I asked Dr. Toffler what he considered to be among the strongest arguments against assisted suicide in Massachusetts. As he is on the other side of the country, it was a bit surprising but enlightening to hear him say that it was a statement from Victoria Kennedy, the widow of Ted Kennedy, that made a great impression on him all the way in Oregon. It was a statement she made after her husband's death, which opposed ballot question number two in 2012. It may very well have been determinative in the narrow defeat of physician-assisted suicide in Massachusetts that year. Here are some excerpts from that letter by Victoria Reggie Kennedy, an attorney, healthcare advocate, and widow of Senator Edward M. Kennedy, which was published in the Cape Cod Times in October of 2012, just prior to the defeat of Question 2 the so-called Death with Dignity Act. The title of this article was Question 2, Insults Kennedy's Memory, and it reads in part this way. My late husband, Senator Edward Kennedy, called quality, affordable health care for all the cause of his life. Question 2 turns his vision of health care for all on its head by asking us to endorse patient suicide, not patient care. 
as our public policy for dealing with pain and the financial burdens of care at the end of life. We're better than that. We should expand palliative care, pain management, nursing care, and hospice, not trade the dignity and life of a human being for the bottom line. Most of us wish for a good and happy death with as little pain as possible. Surrounded by loved ones, perhaps with a doctor and or clergyman at our bedside. But under question two, what you get instead is a prescription for a hundred capsules dispensed by a pharmacist, taken without medical supervision, followed by death, perhaps alone. That seems harsh and extreme to me. Continued Mrs. Kennedy, Question two is supposed to apply to those with a life expectancy of six months or less. But even doctors admit that's unknowable. When my husband was first diagnosed with cancer, he was told that he had only two to four months to live, that he'd never go back to the U.S. Senate, that he should get his affairs in order, kiss his wife, love his family, and get ready to die. But that prognosis was wrong. Teddy lived 15 more productive months. During that time, he cast a key vote in the Senate that protected payments to doctors under Medicare, made a speech at the Democratic Convention, saw the candidate he supported elected president of the United States, and even attended his inauguration, received an honorary degree, chaired confirmation hearings in the Senate, worked on reform of health care, threw out the first pitch on opening day for the Red Sox, introduced the president when he signed the bipartisan Edward M. Kennedy Serve America Act, sailed his boat, and finished his memoir, True Compass, while also getting his affairs in order, kissing his wife, loving his family, and preparing for the end of life. Because that first dire prediction of life expectancy was wrong, I have 15 months of cherished memories. Memories of family dinners and song fests. Song fests with our children and grandchildren. Memories of laughter and, yes, tears. Memories of life that neither I nor my husband would have traded for anything in the world. Victoria Kennedy went on to say, when the end finally did come, natural death with dignity, my husband was home, attended by his doctor, surrounded by family and our priest. I know we were blessed. I am fully aware that not everyone will have the same experience we did. But if question two passes, I can't help but feel we're sending the message that they're not even entitled to a chance, a chance to have more time with their loved ones, a chance to have more dinners and sing more songs, a chance for more kisses and more love, a chance to be surrounded by family or clergy or a doctor when the end does come. That seems cruel to me and lonely and sad. That's how I feel in this case, and that's why... I'm going to vote no on question two. And now here is part two of my conversation with Dr. William Toffler. 
Well, you know, uh, with all of your experience in this uh, evolving in, in Oregon, and since since it became legal, what what do you feel at this point? Maybe you could name one or two arguments that that you feel have been pushed the most, or or that are the most effective for the uh, proponents of assisted suicide and conversely what what do you feel like are the best one or two arguments uh, against it well I, I think that the argument that is often promoted is it's just choice it's it's right. choice and dying the euphemisms are absolutely moving uh, you know Bernard Nathanson who was kind of the founder of abortion mm-hmm. rights uh, before he converted a, away from it right. in this country he said all social engineering is preceded by verbal engineering. Yeah. So this whole notion of, quote, choice in dying, end quote, are, are the so-called death with dignity. Right. Um, th- these are dangerous terms because, Mark, I believe in death with dignity. That's yeah. a very <laughs> right. different term. Than, yeah. You know, and, and you do, too. I'm on to help my patients to be dignified at all stages of their life. Mm-hmm. I, I believe in aiding the dying. I believe giving medical aid to dying. So they have all these medical aid and dying. It sounds very nice. Right. Well, no, what we're talking about is assisting people in killing themselves. Exactly. That's the King's English. And so whenever you ask questions of people, you simply, if you use terms that are precise, you get 15% fewer people excited about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, if the polls today in Massachusetts are 65, 35 for assisted suicide or for quote, aid and dying, yeah. then you change the terms. So are you in favor of doctors giving deadly drugs to kill their patients when uh, when things don't look good? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm not in yeah. favor of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought you were talking about death with dignity or something. <laughs> yes, you know, right. So nobody knows really what really is meant. And when you explain it, the more you explain what's going on, the more you explain you're giving massive yeah. overdoses that can be bitter, caustic, they may not result in a complete death. People lose their excitement and enthusiasm for it. But the problem is, in order to do that, it takes a discussion like we're having to yeah. actually uh, show what, how it's corrupting the medical profession, how it, it actually can be done when you think the person is going to die and they don't. I mean, one of the most vivid stories is one patient here in Oregon who voted for assisted suicide gets diagnosed with colorectal cancer. Jeanette Hall, and she knows mm. because she she's given us permission to talk about her. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Hall was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. She comes to my colleague, co-founder of Physicians for Compassionate Care, Ken Stevens. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm not here for chemotherapy or radiation therapy, even though he's the chair of the radiation oncology department at mm. OHSU at the time. I, I'm here for the pills. I voted for assisted suicide. Wow. I just want the pills. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of being a vending machine, Ken talked to her, found out that uh, she had a son who was in the police academy, um, found out that, uh, you know, she really maybe didn't understand things about uh, the options. She's worried about her hair falling out if she got chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked to her and said, you know, don't you want to see your son graduate? Don't you want to see him get married? Mm-hmm. Uh you might want to think about this. And so she did. She came back and, and ultimately changed her mind because she got a doctor that cared about her, mm. not just the words that she yeah, said. Yeah. And, and she went for the chemotherapy. Her hair did fall out, but it grew back. She got the radiation therapy and she had the cancer just melt away. It was not operable. And she would have died if he, she hadn't accepted this. And now it's well over 20 years later. Is that and, right? You know, 
she comes to back to Ken Stevens at about year five and sees him at a restaurant and says, you know, Dr. Stevens, you saved my life. That's an incredible story. If you hadn't been a doctor that was against assisted suicide, I'd be dead now. Yeah. And she did see her son graduate. She jokes about him, or he jokes about it. Well, he hasn't gotten married yet, but at least at the time. And so it's it's a cute kind of a story in the sense of telling the personal lives. But the, the point was that having a diagnosis that would be terminal without treatment is not the the end of the world yeah and that person has value and dignity and should be encouraged by doctors yeah. and unfortunately the the doctor in the, in oregon right now who's done the most assisted suicide is the head of medical oncology at oregon health and science university now i'm not out of school talking about him mm-hmm. he actually testified and said this in front of the oregon uh, legislature trying to push for Changing the terms, remember how we talked about terms, yeah. changing the terms of the Oregon law, which only allows for assisted suicide with oral medicines. It's ingesting oral medicines. That's what the law allows. That's right. how they passed it past the people. Remember I said how difficult it was for them to pass injection yes. laws yes. because it showed the doctor was doing the deed. Right. So he wanted to change the language from ingest to mean that you could give it rectally. Or you could give it IV if somebody couldn't swallow. So he essentially was trying his best to make it easier to kill people because injections are far more effective Mm -hmm. than giving pills. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and as you and I and everyone who's been in an emergency knows, taking an overdose is really not pretty at all. No, no. And and people have awakened 67 hours later. uh, One man, you know who made it into the papers, which was a, a good thing because people found out these, these oral things are, are not that effective. He, he wakes up and his first words, what the hell happened? Yeah, I, right. I thought I was yeah. supposed to be dead. Yeah, I do remember that and, story. And, and, and it's just, uh, it's just breathtaking because then he has a conversion of heart. He actually has, uh, well, God must not want me to die. Yeah, yeah. And right. so, you know, and as we're talking about, so I think about Canada, yeah. they, they studied the Oregon experience they did it. They talked to people like me and others, and they basically uh, found out that if you really want to do this, then you need to use injections. So in all of Canada, where there are now, I think, an upwards of 20,000, 18, 20,000 people who've been killed by euthanasia, yeah. there are only two assisted suicides. Most of them are exactly the same three steps that you use on death row with the death penalty. Yeah, you give a sedative, so they're soporific, so they're not that awake and then you give a, a deeper one that puts them to sleep i mean an anti-anxiety agent is the first one then you give a sedative yeah and the third thing is you give a muscle paralyzing agent that paralyzes their muscle or heart muscle and they can't breathe they don't have heart function yeah. and they die yeah that is what we do on death row that's what they're doing in canada because they wanted to do it efficiently yeah and they weren't having to pass it with a ballot measure yeah it actually in canada they did it very efficiently. They went it through the Supreme Court of Canada, and somehow the Supreme Court had found nine nothing a right to die under the cause that says there's a right to live in Canada. Mm, <laughs> and so gee. somehow that that translates into a right 
uh, so-called right to die yeah. by injection. Yeah. And this, this is crazy because, and you think about who makes these decisions, that same Supreme Court had voted against it 20 years earlier, 5-4. Mm. And so it, it shows you how important it is who's on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And do they have a consistent ethic and a yeah. consistent jurisprudence? Well, you know, we're talking about Canada. That, that kind of gets to the whole uh, slippery slope uh, argument uh, against assisted suicide because it was, it was just 2016, right, that Canada passed assisted suicide, and initially they said, well, just in the last six months. I don't recall if, if it was ingestion only then and if they switched to injection. No, it's always been injection always from been the injection. get-go. It's always been injection from the get-go, and it's just, uh, but you're right. They've surpassed all the states put together Yeah. in the District of Columbia in a number of deaths. They, yeah. they have simply acknowledged in their society that, when you want to go, you can go. Yeah. And, of course, the next step is you don't have to be terminal. You just have to have lived a completed life. Right. Uh, that's, right. That's where they've gone in every country that's yeah. gone into They went the to injection. terminal disease, to chronic disease, and now they're, they just legalized uh, killing psychiatric patients. Exactly. And, and it's just... It's, it's just mind-boggling. And, and even, you know, even in Oregon, they've made it clear that if you have a chronic disease like diabetes... And you're insulin dependent. Right. That means that without the insulin, you will die. Yeah. And so that's a reason to be killed with assisted suicide, even in Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, it's just and, you know, the the obstacles that are placed there to supposedly give people that is the public some confidence that it's not being done willy nilly are then become obstacles to uh, to being able to exercise and promote assisted suicide. In Oregon, and so they've gotten rid of the waiting period in Oregon. Yeah, it yes, used to be 15 yes, days. Right now, right. you could be killed this very same day you asked for. Yeah, the yeah, that was drug. that was just a couple of years ago, right? That they. It was. Yeah. Now, yeah. by the way, when this head of medical oncology was one of the leading uh, people petitioning for ingesting, meaning you could inject people who who had yeah. difficulty swallowing, um, that didn't pass, and the reason it didn't pass was that not only were people like you and me, Mark, that were opposed to it. But the death movement was opposed to it. And you sort of say, why would they be opposed to it? This mm. is actually expanding it. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. Well, they were opposed to it because they had bills and legislative action and, and, and yeah, the like right. in 25 states, I think, at the time, trying to expand this from the 10 states that are involved one way or another now in the District of Columbia. They, they were trying to pass it, and they knew... If they passed it in Oregon, that would be absolutely a strong argument that what you yes, just described yes. as a slippery slope right. was, a, was a cliff. Right. I mean, right. you know, and so they so both sides were opposed to it, made it easy for the legislature not to accept the petition to yeah. include injection yeah. among the word in the word ingestion. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, despite all the um, negative stories, uh, good stories from our point of view that uh, what is happening in Oregon, every time I go to a hearing or, or read an article in the paper in Massachusetts, they always say, well, Oregon's had this for 25 years and there's no problems at all. So how would you, as an Oregonian, um, how would you respond to one of these, uh, you know, compassion and choices people who say, well, well I, there's I no problem say, at all. Know, it, it, it reminds me of someone today saying everything's gone swimmingly since Biden's been president. You know, yeah, it, right. it's like you, you obviously are not 
paying attention. With your ear to the rail, you have not done your research because no. everything that he's done has been uh, misguided and come out poorly. And that is true with Oregon's assisted suicide law. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely been covered up. There's a shroud of secrecy. You cannot actually get the information because it's kept privately by the Oregon Health Division, who then destroy the information. Mm. This is the only place in medicine where I know where records are actively destroyed, and they just collate the numbers, and they will not allow anyone, any third party, any independent person to review it. Now, you think about where's the data coming from? Yeah. Well, there's about 200 doctors out of 14,000 active practicing physicians in Oregon who are doing this. So it's not the majority of doctors. It's a tiny uh, group of people who are advocates for this Mm -hmm. and are enthusiastic for making money from it. They're paid by the Oregon. Even the, even the indigent have a hundred percent of the coverage for assisted suicide in the state of Oregon. So the advocates are the ones reporting to the Oregon health division who collates the data and then destroys the original records. So there's no way to know really what's going on. Every time something leaks out, about what really happened, a delayed death, yeah. or about uh, someone having an adverse reaction to it, someone having a, a secondary gain by the assisted suicide, where somebody is making off with someone else's estate yeah. because yeah. they claim to have wanted assisted suicide. Now, these things have happened. There are yeah. actual cases of that, but it takes a very um, astute and, and tenacious person in the press to make this come to light yeah. because he has to go or she has to go and actually talk to the individual people has to talk to the police and they have come to light. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think of this, Mark, you, you know, as a doctor, have you ever asked one of your patients now who stands to gain and make money about your estate? If you were to die, uh, who has the life insurance policies? Yeah. I yeah. can't ever remember no. asking a patient about no, that. Not something. So I'm, I'm totally to ignorant ask. about the conflicts of interest of the so-called sure. loved ones who may have yeah. absolute secondary gains. Yeah. Well, you know, that makes me think of a, a few stories from Oregon that I've read about. Maybe you you helped um, uncover with your organization the um, the PCCEF, um, which I'd like to get you to talk about some more. But the uh, Kate Cheney, I think, was her name. Yes. And and she was a elderly lady with cancer and was had mild dementia, and her daughter took her doctor shopping and uh and finally after a primary care person and then a psychiatrist said no she doesn't understand she's got dementia she ended up going to a managed care uh so-called ethicist and said oh yeah you're a perfect candidate well exactly right that was the third person that was consulted and the first one uh actually said the daughter seems to be coercive yes and so you've got one that came out with a uh, an opinion that this survivor of the Holocaust and who did indeed have some degree of dementia was being pushed by her daughter. Yeah. Go to a second one who didn't use the word coercive, but said the same thing. It isn't clear who's really asking for this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you know, people, you know, nobody wants to have dementia. But one of the things that is true is that they generally don't have organized thoughts about killing themselves uh, as part of the feature of that disease, mm-hmm. you know? And so this this whole notion of somebody with dementia being a candidate for right. this is scary yeah. because, yeah. you know, this, these are people um, who, who basically need our support and help as, as our brains. All of us are going to have less cognition. 
uh, if we're blessed with a long life, 80, mm-hmm. 90 years, than we did when we were 25. It's yeah. just part of aging. It's like our joints aren't going to be as, as solid as they were. So what do we deserve when, we, when we're aging or our mentation isn't as sharp? Well, you know, we, we need to support and love that person. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think we're called to do that. Exactly. We have a current president who has some signs that he's not as sharp as he was uh, <laughs> right. 10 years ago. That's the kindest way I can put it. Yeah. And so what do we do? I, we should be uh, loving to that person. And that's challenging to do. I have to admit, been, they yeah. make decisions <laughs> that actually harm people. Yeah. Uh, you want to get mad at the person. But no, we should really get upset with the decisions they make and recognize the person <laughs> still has inherent worth. And is just as valuable as everyone else who yeah. has their mentation intact. Yeah. And this is this is sad when the society starts saying, "Well, I wouldn't want to live that way, so let's let's pass a law that we can kill such people." Mm-hmm. So how 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 quickly did it? Um, I remember hearing something about destroying records. Uh, do they do that right away? To, to uh, like, for instance, I, I think of it in terms of uh, Kay Cheney. How long did it take for that to come to for that story to come to light? Um, well, it never came to light from the Oregon Health Division, of course. Yeah. It came to light from somebody interviewing the people involved. Yeah, that yeah. meant that you had to go and talk to the family. So Kate Cheney and her daughter were interviewed. And, of course, the daughter didn't believe that that was true at all. Yeah, yeah. And she claimed, quote, I know my mother's wishes. And maybe she does. Yeah. But maybe she doesn't. Yeah. You know, we don't know. Did anyone ask, in fact, the story never revealed, what is what does the daughter stand to gain? Yeah, with, I was just going to uh, ask the you the death that. of her mother. Yeah. And by the way, what does she have to do if she doesn't have assisted suicide? Mm-hmm. How will that impede her life? Yeah. And of course, the daughter could have had perfectly pure motives. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But that's the point. There's never any real deep investigation. Yeah. When you go doctor shopping after a board-certified academic psychiatrist, and I know the person personally, mm-hmm. was the one that used the word, the daughter seems to be coercive. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting as close to a, an accurate paraphrase as I can. Yeah. And that's what the, the psychiatrist said. And then the psychology she saw subsequently uh, didn't use those words, but right. said the same thing. So it's, it's deeply disturbing yeah. that the, the so-called safeguards are not safeguards at all. So how quickly do they actually destroy the medical records? It's once? Every year, once they pull the data out of the uh, reports from the people involved in doing it, mm-hmm. who, by the way, aren't there 85% of the time. Yeah. The yeah. doctor that writes the prescription is the one that fills out the report. Yeah. He's reporting what he hears secondhand or even thirdhand from people who supposedly were there about what was the time to unconsciousness, what was the time to actual death. These are not necessarily doctors. In fact, like I say, 15% of the time the doctor's there, 85% of the time it's somebody else. Right. This concludes part two of my conversation with William Toffler. Tune in next time when we will discuss how assisted suicide is corrupting medicine. And until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks.
Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.